morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, the 21st of June. Markets were closed in the US overnight, Marcus, but what did happen? We were closed, but you'll see the market's doing okay today. We're sort of up 50 points. Futures this morning were up 47, and the Dow futures, as I speak, are up about 250 points. So it looks like Wall Street had a bit of a bounce tonight and helped by Europe, which was up sort of 1%, depending on which market you look at, obviously. European markets up about 1%, led by the banks, and our banks are looking okay here today. Our resources sector had its worst day in two months yesterday. You saw things like Fortescue Metals down 8% and Champion Iron down 12%. Some recovery today. The iron ore price, as we know, fell 9% yesterday as the Chinese, one, didn't move interest rates, and two, they're trying to put together a central buying body to try and combat the Australian pricing power in iron ore. So iron ore's had quite a significant little turning point at the top there, but recovering a little bit today, so steadying up. So resources looking okay today as well. We've had a speech from Philip Lowe, haven't got to the detail of that yet. We also had the RBA. I think any policy review that has more than one word in it is uh, always going to be boring anyway. The RBA have had their yield curve control policy review today, and the message coming out of that is rates, in their opinion, are still, quote, very low. So more rate rises, obviously, coming. The other thing that's notable overnight is the coal prices up 5%. The Netherlands have reviewed their coal-powered sector, and they imposed a 35% capacity limit on coal-fired power stations on the 1st of January this year, and they've lifted that. So their coal-fired power stations can now produce as much energy as they want, which is a rolling back of carbon targets. They're also supposed to shut down by 2030. Maybe that'll get rolled back as well. But that's obviously in response to the Russian gas supplies. The Russians have cut their pipeline into Europe down to 40% of capacity. So coal coming back online. Have a look at the coal price chart in the newsletter today. It's just astonishing what the coal price has been doing. Otherwise, that's about it from me today. Not too much going on. Very nice. Thank you, Marcus. Thomas Wigner, what have you got for us in our market today? Thank you, Ben. Yes, our market having a good day up 40 points around 0.6%. Energy is rebounding strongly and consumer staples. They're the best performing sectors at the moment. Coal stocks also, as Marcus was just saying, they are the standout performers on the back of those reactivating of European coal-fired power stations. Property and healthcare names, the worst performers. Most sectors are in positive territory. We do have the big four banks, all positive. A speech from the RBA's Philip Lowe will be closely watched for cues on the bank's rate hike path. On the corporate front, Westpac is launching a $750 million capital notes offer. Grain Corp up 2.8% reaffirmed four-year guidance. Bega Cheese, BGA, falling another 4% on another broker downgrade. And Australian Agricultural Co, AAC, had their CEO step down. On the economic front, weekly consumer confidence was up, although it's still well below a neutral reading. And the New South Wales and Queensland state budgets are handed down today. Ben, and that's about as exciting as it gets. Very nice. Thank you, Tom. Layden, what have you got from the brokers? Thank you, Ben. Pretty quiet out there in Brokerland again this morning, but Morgan Stanley has some new research on the big four banks. They've lowered earnings estimates and price targets.
rates for the four majors on concerns about a weaker housing and mortgage market and a higher probability of recession. I won't go through all the details, but ANZ and NAB are neutral. CBA, as always, is underweight and the target price has come down 13% to $79, which implies about a 10% downside, even though the CBA is the only one with a dividend coming up soon. And Westpac is overweight and the target price there comes down 13% as well, but that implies a 16% upside. And Domino's, the code for that one is DMP. UBS says that it's confident key changes outlined by Domino's will support multi-year growth in same-store sales. And they've retained their buy recommendation and target price of $90, which implies a 42% upside. Thank you, Ben. Good stuff. Thank you, Leighton. Chris, you've got an idea for us in the active investors section today. Thank you, Ben. Yes, I'm taking a look at ASX Limited today. Of course, stock code ASX. We've been talking a lot lately about monopolies. And whilst ASX is not quite a monopoly, it is pretty darn close. CBOE, formerly ChiX, is their competitor. But ASX has an almost 80% market share of publicly traded Australian financial products. And it also has significant pricing power. It can basically charge whatever it likes for its data feeds and access to the exchange. And anyone who trades infrequently would know that if you want live pricing through a platform, you have to pay around $40. That's on all the major platforms, you know, the big bank platforms. Whereas if you want access to the NYSE feed in America, it's a dollar. So significantly cheaper for retail punters to play in America than it is in Australia, for is that, example. Is that number per year? Sorry, per month. Per, per month. month. Yeah. So whether it's an institutional level or a retail level if you want to play you have to pay the only thing the asx has less control over of course is how much people want to trade and we know that during the pandemic we saw the rise of the likes of superhero self-wealth stake as everyone was working from home and playing the market and if you look at the self-wealth share price it rose to a high of around 80 cents in feb 2021 now trading at 15 cents asx share price has also come back it was trading around 95 dollars back into recent lows just above 70 but it has bounced up to 78 and that looks like a fairly big bottom on the chart the question is now whether or not the ASX offers value. There's two schools of thought. Some see the market volatility as a headwind as people will trade less and that will see revenues fall and sending the share price lower. The other school of thought is that volatility is good. It will assure volumes remain solid. And unless people actually take themselves out of the market, they'll continue to either need to have to sell positions or be bargain hunting. Me personally, I fall in the camp that I think the recent share price weakness offers value and the bounce from the lows is a good sign. And it's not often you get an opportunity to buy a great company with a monopoly position at a discount. And I think that's what you're getting right now with ASX. So one worth having a look at as chart of the day. Thank you, Chris. You are suited up and ready to be on the trade. Osby's at 140, I believe. Yes, talking for charts on the trade with Kyle. And then tomorrow, of course, my webinar at five o'clock, 10 stocks as chosen by our members. So the 10 most popular stocks. And just on the ASX, the reason it's probably got your attention is because it's had this bounce off the mm -hmm. bottom. It's up about 10%, having dropped about 25%. And it is one of the quality companies, has pricing power and an opportunity after that sort of fall to buy long-term, I suppose. Right on. Very nice. Thank you guys. Henry, how are you going today? What are you writing about? Well, the good news is the beep has stopped. Huzzah. Huzzah. Um, just on ASX, just bear in mind though that one of the issues that they do have, is, apart from the blockchain debacle, which is ongoing, they do have a new CEO as well, which is going to make life interesting. Also, they have a big leverage to new listings and the deal flow from those. They make an awful lot of money out of IPOs and new listings hitting the market. So if we do see protracted 
protracted period of dullness in the market as confidence is sapped and people lick their wounds, then a lot of those IPOs, that deal flow is being pulled back. Private equity won't be floating stuff at that sort of thing. So just be careful of that with the ASX. And also, I guess, with a new big brother in charge of Chiax, there is a risk that they will get more aggressive. For instance, those two ETFs that they put into blockchain and cryptocurrencies were both listed on the CBOE Global Exchange, which is the old Chiax, as opposed to the ASX. So just something to bear in mind. As far as my stuff goes today, I've had a few computer issues, which are ongoing, so a little bit light on today. But one thing that I did uh, talk about, I was on the ABC a minute ago talking about buy now, pay later, coming regulation, bad debts, etc. A lot of these buy now, pay later guys are cashed up, but they do tend to burn through it in increasingly huge amounts. For instance, Zip has around 330 odd million bucks on its balance sheet after they raised money at $1.86 not that long ago. Uh, The company valuation is actually around the same price. So there is some value there. I'm not sure what it is. But interestingly, yesterday, there's a little company called Credit Clear, which is the new generation of digital debt collections. Now, the problem with debt collecting companies and Credit Corp is the biggest one of those. CCP is the stock code there. The problem these guys have had, the economy was just going too good. No, people weren't under these pricing pressures. Lettuces weren't 10 bucks. You didn't have to buy now, pay later or buy now, pain later for a lettuce at your local supermarket. Now, Credit Clear, which is a tiny minnow, reported yesterday that had a record May. And they also saw a deteriorating local economy with more pressures on household budget leading to further revenues. And they actually were profitable in May. So this is one that I had in the small cap for a long time, did nothing, cost me money. But it's interesting, as the economy does slip a little bit, we could see a renaissance in not just Credit Clear, which is the small cap side of things, but also it might be worth having a look at Credit Corp, which is the big daddy of uh, debt collectors. So uh, something to bear in mind is, I guess, a counter cyclical play on a deteriorating economy. So that's something to have a think about. A comment on Zip. When I was at Bell's in the morning meeting, Andrew Bell said, when anyone quoted an asset value or cash being worth more than the share price, he said, if you give a dollar to the village idiot, how much is it worth? Well, so, that, that is that is very true. But I guess the point is not that they're going to give the money back, but they're not going to have to raise money or go to the market at ridiculously silly levels in terms of the equity price. But uh, I, I'm more interested in the credit and the debt side of things because we do have regulation coming in Australia. The new minister, I think his name's Chris Jones, is talking about regulation of the buy now, pay later sector, which will be just another nail in that coffin to some extent. So very interesting. Thank you, Henry. Marcus, what have you got in strategy? Not much in strategy today, but a few points I've been trying to deduce from lines on a chart, which, as you know, is a very scientific and reliable way to find where the market might bottom. And if you have a look at the charts in the strategy piece, that was a joke, by the way, just in case we've got new members. But the bottom of the trading range since the GFC on the ASX 200, 6,350, and we're almost down there. So that's a support level. If we cracked much below 6,300, you might be talking about a more significant correction than we've already seen. The NASDAQ, the chart is looking like the tech boom just went exponential there and it's coming off the exponential top. Absolutely no reason to catch that knife by the looks of it at the moment. But there is an interesting chart. If you're using, and we're not great chartists here, right? 
but I'm just trying to find a level. But if you look at a long-term chart, you are supposed to, before you start drawing support resistance lines, supposed to look at a log chart, not a price chart. And if you look at the log chart on the NASDAQ, you'll see that there is very clearly defined trading range. And the bottom of that is about 9,500, which is about 12% down from here. The other thing I've written about is share buyback announcements. I just happened to be looking through the announcements feeds as I do every morning and thought, oh, I might just list all those companies that have daily share buyback notices. You'll see a list of them in the strategy piece today. But it's a good sign. This is something Peter Lynch wrote about, was it's always a good sign when a company's, not always, it's usually a good sign when a company's having a share buyback because it suggests they have a reasonably strong balance sheet and have ongoing share price support. And if you were to think, if I was going to analyze 10 stocks, what's a better list? A list of the 10 most shorted stocks or a list of the 10 stocks doing share buybacks? So quite a good list there of companies that should survive a bit better in a market downturn. The other point I make in the strategy piece today is about the bank sector, which has obviously turned the corner. Corrections start fast, they've started fast, but have a look at the CBA charts. There are three charts there. One's the price chart. It is still out of the top end. It's above the top end of its 10-year trading range in share price. And just to make the point, the banks are not growth stocks anymore. Prior to the GFC, there was quite a bit of risk being taken by the banks. They borrow short, lend long. And of course, that went to custard in the GFC. They had limited ability to borrow short, but they were lending long. And post that, thanks to international regulation as well. They have changed the way they do things so that a lot of the time they're an intermediary. They don't actually take the risk themselves by going and borrowing the money in international markets and borrowing it short. They are actually offloading it to other people. So they're almost like an intermediary. It's much safer being a bank under that structure than it was. But the flip side of that is that you really don't get any growth in earnings. And I think you have to accept that with the banks. They are low growth no growth income stocks for us. Yes, you might be able to trade them as you could have done recently in their recent recovery, but have a look at the charts of the CBA. The price is above the top of the trading range. The PE, forward PE, PE is a bit unreliable, but whatever. Anyone who's been around for a while will know the banks generally traded between nine times in a disaster. That was always where you bought them on a PE of nine times. Up to about 16 times would be the peaky peak. They got to 21 times at the top recently. They're now back to 16 times, but the long-term average is 13 times, which is middle of that sort of range. They're still elevated, is the point. And then I've got a chart of the yield on the Commonwealth Bank. If you buy the Commonwealth Bank now, you're locking in a low yield because of the high price you're paying. The average yield on the Commonwealth Bank, as anyone who's been around a while and bought these stocks for income will know, you at least got a 5% yield on the banks, add in a bit of franking and fabulous income stocks. The yield on the CBA has got down to about 3.7% and is only just in the recent sell-off started to rise again. And we're still well below the average 5.2%. So it would suggest that even though we've seen a correction in the banks in the last two weeks, it's correcting from quite high levels, low yield levels and high PE levels, in which case it's probably not a buy yet. I think the game at the moment, especially for income investors, is trying to time the Commonwealth Bank ahead of the results and dividend coming up. And whilst we're in this sell-off, I just would
wouldn't be bothering leave it till close to the time. What would be nice, of course, if the market actually bottomed just before our results season, in which case income investors can pick up a lot of dividends and make some money, but that is yet to be seen. The energy sector I've also written about, that seems to have come off the top, but I would just point out there is no material crack in energy prices yet. We've got fearful of some sort of precipitous collapse. For instance, if the Russian conflict miraculously ended or Russian sanctions came off miraculously, the energy sector would collapse, inflation worries would go away, the rest of the market would go up and energy would massively underperform as it has been outperforming. But just to make the point, there isn't as yet no material crack in energy prices. And finally, I've written about the resources sector. A lot of the commodity prices are now coming off the top, be it iron ore, copper, and the CRB commodity price index I've put in as well. They're all coming off the top. It does sort of suggest that we are at decision point on resources. Resources tend to be a long duration trading sector with fairly marked big pivot points, and you need to try and get those right. They are not sitting forever stocks, or the sector is not a sitting it forever sector. It can be traded. We look like we're at one of those peaks at the moment. That's a very good segue to Marcus into a couple of portfolio changes that we've made this morning. As you mentioned, the iron ore price is looking a bit toppy and it's enough of a peak for us to start to take a little bit of action, potentially some more if it keeps going the wrong way. But this morning we have cut our holding in Fortescue Metals in the Ferro portfolio in half, down from 4 to 2%, which is still above what it is in the market, but 4% was a pretty big holding on that. Obviously, it got whacked yesterday and you said, Marcus, yesterday was the biggest negative day for the resources sector in a couple of months. So taking some action after that. And then in the dividend portfolio, we're also cutting min out of that mineral resources. It scrapped its dividend in the first half, so shouldn't be in there as an income stock anyway, but it's not a sleep at night stock by any stretch. And with that move in the iron ore price, it's one we're going to get out of in the dividend portfolio. Good. Question of the day is a one led by actions of our leader, Marcus Padlick. Should pets and specifically dogs be allowed in the office? And this is because both my dogs came into the office yesterday because I've got a son in San Francisco who can't walk them, a daughter in Milan who can't walk them, a wife in a hot air balloon in Alice Springs, she's not walking them. So I had to bring them in here and we've all walked An office full of employees to walk them. So should dogs be allowed in the office? Tom? I was very happy to have Savvy and Shardy in the office, I think is a great addition. But I also thought, uh, we're going to do the question of what's the largest animal you'd allow in the office? And my answer to that would be a well-trained one. It wouldn't matter what size. Um, But no, I thought they were good. Very good. Layton? Yeah, I really enjoyed having them in the office as well. I think I might have to bring in my medicated nasal spray because my allergies seem to be playing up a little bit this morning. (laughs) So... Uh, that will happen. Yeah. Chris? Yes. Happy to have you here. Henry? I used to bring my dog into the office every day and my office buddy had his dog in every day and they both ignored each other. Unfortunately, Toby is no longer. But the largest animal you should bring into the office, I guess, is the elephant in the room. <laughs> as long as it's well behaved. All for doggies in the office, no problem as long as they're well behaved and nice to take them for a walk at lunchtime. I would agree completely with that. And Marcus? I think the answer is obvious. My pets are fine. <laughs> but if you start bringing your Stafford Terriers in here and they start ripping the place up, then no, it's not fine. So I think it is it is dog personality dependent. So I've got two cavoodles. The only problem they were yesterday is whenever anyone ate toast, they stood and stared at 
which it, is my daughter's fault for feeding them bits of food from the table, which I've never done in my life. Do you think it's dog personality dependent or dog owner seniority dependent? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I happily see every everyone. I'll give you a list now. Everyone's pet gets one day, all right, and then we vote on whether we're having that one back. <laughs> survivor. So, Gigi, when you bring your peppers. four Great Danes in, all right, you get one day. <laughs> I think actually Karishma's got a very vicious Rhodesian Ridgeback cross, which is a South African police dog. So we better watch out. <laughs> very good. That'll wrap us up. Yeah, tomorrow. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Thanks, Ange.